Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash cause talk radio. There's over 180,000 titles for you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash cause talk radio and get your free audiobook today. Habitat for Humanity International is Engage for Good's Golden Halo Award winner for nonprofits this year. Honored for their excellent work with corporate partners, particularly through their Home is the Key Signature Cause Initiative, started four years ago. In this episode of Cause Talk Radio, I speak to Habitat CEO Jonathan Ruckford first about how they're responding to and impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, and then about their corporate partner journey, how Habitat measures meaningful outcomes, and the evolution in corporate partnerships that Jonathan has personally witnessed from CSR 1.0 to ESG Today. Hello, Jonathan, and welcome to Cause Talk Radio. Thanks, Megan. Great to be with you. It is such an honor to talk to you. I'm in the middle of reading your book. Um, so I feel like I'm, I mean, you're already a little bit of a celebrity, but now you're an author and a celebrity as the CEO of Habitat. So um, I'm just very, very honored to have you on today. And I'm uh, excited you're able to join me. Thank you. Now, I hope the book will be an encouragement in what are increasingly difficult times. You know, we wrote it with the the hope that people uh, would want to go out and help their communities. We never anticipated where we were, we had to do that in a way that was socially distanced from one another. <laughs> indeed, indeed. If you had only known before you actually wrote the book. Um, well, you know, we didn't really come on this podcast to talk about the, ba- the pandemic, but I feel like we kind of need to mention it. I'm, I'm very curious to know with all the chaos that's happening around COVID-19, what some of the biggest items that you're focused on at Habitat for Humanity international currently? You know, so as you know, so many of us are now sheltering in our homes and working remotely or virtually. Um, we're trying to keep people focused on the fact there's still so many people who don't have a home to shelter in or one yeah. at least that they can afford um, that is of decent quality. And so it is a, we have a public health crisis, but it's exacerbating an existing housing crisis. And so um, I think I get asked quite frequently, how is this different than other natural disasters or disasters that we've responded to over the years? And I think what's unique here is typically in a natural disaster, uh, one area or region is hit, but the other areas can then rally around to go support the impacted region or, or city or area. In this case, it's global. And so we, I think none of us have ever experienced this. And in some ways, that analogy of disaster is helpful because often I talk after a hurricane or a typhoon uh, or earthquake that there is the relief effort, the emergency relief, and then there's the recovery. 
And one of the challenges, I think, as a society is about 80% of all the funds go to the relief effort. And then there's never enough money left for the long-term rebuilding and recovery, which takes years. And that's probably a helpful way to think about this, too. Absolutely. We all need to be giving and focusing on the emergency right now and the relief. But we can't lose the longer-term picture or we're going to make decisions that will actually even make the recovery slower and more difficult. And so how do we keep in mind, and we've often encouraged our partners to allocate both to um, the relief effort, but then also be thinking about the recovery and have a long-term strategy. Right. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that was definitely one of the questions I was going to ask you because I know you're very uh, well-versed in the disaster space. And I think I think of you guys as mostly that longer-term relief, if you will. So uh, yeah, you're speaking, you're speaking from some experience here. And we are, of course, we're not a a medical organization, but what we see is it's so deeply intertwined and health and housing are so inextricably linked in many ways. And so uh, the people, what we worry most about is the people who are already vulnerable tend to suffer the most in a disaster. And in this case, people living already in unhealthy housing, experiencing homelessness, the, the ones who are in overcrowded conditions, all of those make them more vulnerable to a, a health crisis. And so um, thinking about that in a time where we already have 38 million families just in the United States who are severely or cost burdened or paying more than a third of their income on housing, which is Mm -hmm. doesn't leave funds for medicine, for health, for food, for all the other necessities of life. Right. Indeed. Are you able to continue with your builds or have you had to shut those down completely? You know, it is it's place by place, but increasingly the volunteer part has had to stop. And so what happened is first we stopped the international volunteering because we the first you know, rule for us is, is take care of our communities. And we couldn't take the chance that a volunteer would even accidentally bring the virus to a vulnerable community. The next step for us um, was basically all traveling volunteering. And then like so many now, basically our, the public guidelines are no large gatherings. So we have pretty much stopped all volunteer building. Now, local affiliate construction staffs uh, are still working uh, where it's and how they can do, but uh, but a huge amount of the work has stopped. And, and our retail stores, our Habitat for Humanity restores, largely have had to close down as well, which, uh, which is both a, a service to the community that's missing, but also, obviously, those are jobs and, uh, and revenue that, that are going away as well. Well, um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today was to talk a little bit about your corporate partners. Have you had any conversations with your corporate partners about what they're, it's, it, what they're doing and you know, how they're supporting you or um, kind of changing tack a little bit? It's been interesting to me to kind of see... Um, I feel like at first, everyone was just so shell-shocked and they're just trying to figure out you know, where their feet are. And then I have been increasingly seeing companies coming out and doing some really interesting things. So have you had any interesting conversations with your corporate partners that you can share? You know, we, we are in those conversations in some ways because we're not a health organization. Um, I would say most of them right now are in the emergency relief mode, which makes sense. They're trying to actually take care of their own people and they're trying to figure out uh, where are the places where there's immediate frontline work. So it's logical we're not the first place to to turn. Um, you know, we I think the the question we don't know yet is as everybody's impacted, will that impact giving? And and no one has said they're going to quit giving. Um, but of course, that's the great concern for the whole nonprofit community. 
And so I, I do think, you know, partners are looking to show that they can be active in their communities. They want to be part of the solution. They, they're somewhat constrained like everyone else by the, all the new guidelines we're all wrestling with. Um, but certainly our hope for our, our partners is that they will both stay with us and, and sort of ride this out with us and, and for all the other ones. I know personally, um, I'm actually going to try to give more now uh, because, right. you know, you, you get it and think about people it. need it. Yep. And we, yeah. You know, I hope we will actually see, you know, our better angels and, and stories of compassion and generosity pour out. It's hard where. Uh, you know, all the all the arrows are pointing down at the same time, and and I worry about confidence. But uh, we've certainly seen substantial commitments from many of our partners to helping. Those haven't been defined yet. More of the announcements have been we're going to spend. X we're going to do something. Yeah. Do something but, <laughs> but they have not been articulated in terms of detail. All right. Well, thank you for indulging me talking about COVID nineteen just for a few minutes. But I really do want to kind of dig into the meat of the matter of the original intent of this conversation, which is to talk about your corporate partners. Um, Habitat for Humanity International has been awarded the Golden Halo Award this year for nonprofits. Congratulations. And um, part of the reason that um, this award was bestowed upon your organization this year was the evolution of your home is the key initiative, which is kind of your signature cause marketing campaign for corporate partners. I wonder if you could just talk our listeners through the evolution of your corporate partnerships um, and talking a little bit about that home is the key. Because it's not like you guys have never had corporate partners and all of a sudden you decided to wake up one day and do this home is the key thing. It's been really kind of more of a progression. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's two themes that really came together for us. So on the one side was the fact, and I would say it's part of the evolution of how companies have gotten more strategic about how they invest in community. So if you think about sort of uh, CSR 1.0, it was the chief executive or senior leadership's pet charities, whatever they were, re- whether or not there was a strategic connection in any way to what they did and the mission. I think 2.0 has been more about thinking about employee engagement and customer activation. And so uh, and really thinking about how do we invest in the communities in such a way that it, it aligns with the brand mission, our, our goals for recruiting and retaining the best talent, as well as ways of, uh, we know that now both employees want to work for companies that are, have demonstrated that they are engaged in making their communities better, but also customers uh, clearly have said on a, you know, equal price value, they will choose the companies that are showing that they are part of it. And I think we've seen maybe a, you know, the beginning early days of a sea change with the, the, um, Global Chamber moving to a stakeholder model. That that's a that was a big step this year in a sense that ESG really is a core part of, of how companies think. So that trend was coming along. On the other side, from Habitat's mission perspective, we've always had companies now for gosh, going on 35 years, we've had corporate partners. And but it was mostly focused around just coming out and building. And one of our strategic goals was how do we increase the visibility and urgency of the housing crisis? And in a way, the way I would say is, is it's always been a crisis, but, but relatively invisible because most of the people in positions of corporate and political power grew up in good housing. We, they just don't have a visceral understanding of what it means not to have good housing. So the idea um, in our ish, initial efforts with cause marketing, it would be more like, here's our corporate partner and they were doing an activation, which is if you buy our product, we'll make a donation to Habitat. And that's actually good. But the goal in designing Home is the Key is could we actually elevate the mission higher and then have activations under the umbrella of the mission? And that was really the spirit behind creating the Home is the Key campaign. It starts with 
the idea that the home is so fundamental to so many other things we want in life. If we want health and education and livelihoods and stability and healthy communities, all those things start at home. And then under that umbrella of home, could we then bring in different corporate partners with activations that made sense for them, um, but all under that one umbrella that is bringing attention to the cause of safety and affordable housing for, for everyone. That allowed us to have more focus and kind of get more value, hopefully both for us and our partners in uh, aligning them with, with our mission, but also giving them activation tools that would allow them to tell that story both to their employees and to their customers. And I think it's really smart. I've definitely seen other nonprofit organizations try to do signature, you know, owned campaigns, if you will, which is kind of how I think about this. This is a branded Habitat, Home is the Key campaign under which corporate activations fall. Um, And I've seen them kind of come and go. Some of them have stuck around, but yours has really flourished. What do you attribute that to? You know, obviously, um, I give our team, you know, huge amounts of credit uh, who have worked so hard with the partners. I think um, one side has been the strength of Habitat's brand, which I think clearly is, you know, is uh, when we talk to people, you know, there's just such a halo of goodwill. We joke all the time because the things we're best known <laughs> for are that uh, President Carter started and runs Habitat and then we give away houses, <laughs> neither of which are true. So we have this incredible, you know, uh, beloved brand where people misunderstand the most uh, Right, fine with right. the President Carter there are part. worse things to be confused right. with, however, I will say. The President Carter part is good. The, uh, the giving away houses, <laughs> the giveaway houses is actually not yeah. as good because when people understand the <laughs> partnership model and how we actually work, they like us They like us better. But I think um, companies often you know, are coming because of, of that brand goodwill. I think that what goes with that then is I do think the fact that employees can engage in the mission directly helps create glue with the corporate partners. So there is a sense of, of kind of embedding because the, uh, we can, we've got partners who can measure the employee engagement lift from, from the partnership. And I think the other side then is um, hopefully, and, and our goal with each partner is that we do it in such a way that, that they get measurable results. And my experience of corporate partnerships is, um, you know, at a minimum, if it's transactional, we'll take that, but it's not going to be as long lasting. And I think the best partnerships really are strategic where the sponsorship is at the C-suite level in both organizations that we're really looking at the strategies for both organizations and then figuring out an authentic and appropriate way that allows the company to tell their story and reinforce their values out to their stakeholders in a way that, from our perspective, then, is helping families get better housing. And I think well-designed, it reinforces so that it really can be a win for both sides. And, and I think the key there is that it, both employees and customers um, kind of know if it's, a, if it's greenwashing largely. And so it needs to be something that actually uh, does fit the kind of ethos and values of the company. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash radio. My guest, Jonathan Ruckford, has a new book out that I'd like to recommend you listen to called Our Better Angels. Amidst all the craziness happening in our world right now, Our Better Angels is just an absolutely lovely book in which Jonathan details true and inspiring stories of people involved with Habitat as volunteers and future homeowners who embody timeless virtues, kindness, community, empowerment, joy, 
respect, generosity, and service, and shows how we can all practice these virtues to improve the quality of our own lives as well as those around us. You can download Our Better Angels for free on Audible with your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash cause talk radio. Have you always kind of had that fundamental belief about corporate partnerships or has your own personal approach to corporate partnerships and maybe how much you've gotten involved in these corporate partnerships changed over the years? I would say it's evolved for Habitat and it's been interesting to me for me personally. I'm, this is, I'm going on year 15 and um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm bilingual, which has been helpful. So I spent the first half of my career in the private sector, in strategy and in large uh, multinational companies. And so the, I think sometimes nonprofits struggle to speak the right language to corporate partners. And I think one advantage for Habitat is our, you know, we have um, in our communications and in our resource development and corporate partnerships team, people who are multi-sector. And I think that is helpful in having those strategic conversations rather than just, and not that we, you know, we would welcome, we welcome everybody, but in terms of, of creating things that are sustaining, it's really helpful if you can get the right people to the table. And I would say from the company's perspective, sponsorship is really important. So if this is delegated to a manager in HR just for employee engagement, it'll still be a good experience to employees, but it's less likely that it will have the kind of strategic impact um, that you want. And of course, we don't have the marketing budget. So it's critical that the marketing team or the merchants, depending on the nature of the business, are engaged as well, because uh, we have one partner um, who we did amazing partnership with, and they measured it, and it exploded their employee engagement and um, was more effective than any other marketing campaign they'd ever done from a customer perspective. But it was really expensive, so they stopped doing it. Then seven years later, we measured, and customers, when they were aware of the company's support for Habitat, it had just as powerful um, an impact on their intent to purchase but their awareness was really low. So then the question was, mm. you know, this is where cause marketing. Tell people about it. Yeah. We have no marketing budget. What we can do is create vehicles, <laughs> but companies ultimately have to figure out appropriate ways to tell their customers how they're doing. And, and I love, I've talked to CEOs who are wonderfully, um, and, and actually I, I admire this, are understated and don't want to brag. They just don't want to do good. And I think what I'm hearing now is they're realizing they actually have to, they have to be a little more uncomfortable in telling the good that they're doing because it's becoming an expectation now of uh, out in the marketplace that people are, are figuring out how to tell that story. Well, and that kind of leads me to my next question. So I know that you recently attended the World Economic Forum in Davos, and it sounds like there was a lively conversation there about the shift away from kind of CSR, maybe 1.0, like you were talking about earlier, to ESG. So can you talk a little bit about that shift? What are you hearing? What are you guys doing to respond to that? I mean, it's it's it sounds like it's just kind of moving further along that, that spectrum of engagement, but I would love to hear kind of what the conversation was yeah, when you were it's there. It's been interesting. You know, I, I've, uh, they let a, a token number of us nonprofit types come for free. I, we would never, uh, we would never pay to be there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's really great because you do have government leaders and, and global uh, marketplace leaders together in the room. And I think that's the most powerful part of Davos. And this year, it felt like it was a progression. You know, it's always been a theme at Davos, but it, it felt different. And all the, the big accounting firms all agreed together. They'd try to come up with common standards for measuring ESG, which is really important. 
I would say if you looked at the Europe, our European corporate partners were further down this than the U.S. And the U.S. ones that are starting tended to be the global ones versus the U.S. only. But it's but I'm seeing it accelerate fast. So I think it's going to become a, um, a a normal that companies are going to have to uh, report on ESG in, in ways that maybe they haven't always. And you're seeing large commitments. And for, for your listeners who don't know, environmental, social, and government. So it's governance. And it is, uh, I think that's going to be replacing uh, CSR or uh, corporate social responsibility in the way that, the, that we talk about it. But I do think, I don't think it's just talk. I think with rising inequality and the populism growing around the world, I think there's a recognition that if the private sector doesn't get this right, we could screw up the markets. That this is, there's sort of a higher level. How do we reduce the lack of confidence in capitalism? You know, at a basic level, trust is such a critical part underlying our markets. And I think therefore these ESG conversations are really critical. And it's been a, maybe, you know, it's a pendulum. So it's not a 180 degree turn. It's probably a moving on the pendulum that we had gone too far to it's only shareholder returns and even short term shareholder returns versus creating long term value. And I think when you take a long term lens for value, then ESG makes perfect sense. You need to have good environments for your employees. You need to work in healthy communities so you've got people can buy your products. All that start, those pieces start to come together. And do you think, I mean, it's sounding to me like this space makes me a little crazy sometimes because there's so many words that get thrown around, you know, CSR, purpose, social impact, social good, cosmark, like it makes me a little insane um, because everyone kind of has their flag in the ground of what they what's important to them. But outside of the vernacular change to ESG, it's sounding to me like it's a little bit more holistic. It's a little bit more addressing all stakeholders instead of just shareholders. Is that how you see it, um, the difference between CSR and ESG? I think the biggest change, you know, it, 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 even though it, you know, we'll see if it's semantic or not, but I think for the, the U.S. and then global chambers of commerce to formally say that they are moving from uh, shareholder only to stakeholder uh, responsibility, that's that's actually a pretty significant change. Now, we're early in it, but that's a recognition of the change in a way that starts. And I think we will see, um, and I, I actually think it's more going to be led by the employees than by the uh, than the customer. I agree. I, 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 agree. I believe the pressure is coming up from employees. And in order to hire the best talent, that is going to be pushing the companies faster, I believe, than, than consumers who can be a little bit fickle. They want this, but um, but it, they're probably not going to organize. So when you came home from Davos, what what did you say to your team? Did you say, okay, anything that says CSR, you got to scrap that and replace it with ESG? Or what's the what was the directive uh, from uh, from your office through to everyone else? You know, I think our conversations is the good news. That actually, I feel Habitat was well positioned because we we actually can measurably demonstrate um, the move in employee engagement by partnering with Habitat, and we can demonstrate the brand value. I, I don't know. Uh, you, Listen, it'd be interesting. We actually last year revalued our brand with kind of oh, the inner brand methodology. I didn't know And that. it has more than tripled since uh, wow. since last time we did it in 2006. And our brand is worth about $15.6 billion. Which oh my gosh. Us, if we were a private company, we would be in sort of the super elite <laughs> status. Um, That's and amazing. So, 
but that's but that's value that we're bringing to the conversation. And then how do we have a strategic conversation around how do we design something that achieves the goals of the company? But I do I, I think it's an opportunity for us clearly because I think more companies are going to be looking. And and certainly my advice to companies is to go narrower and deeper rather than really wide. Another mistake I think many companies have made is they've frittered, you know, they're giving all over the place and therefore it's really hard to show the impact. Now the pressure on Habitat is companies are going to look to see measurable impact. And the pressure on all our nonprofits then is we've got to design and actually even invest in the measurement to show that we are not just having outputs, but, but really showing sustainable impact. And I'm, I'm excited about that because that's, that's our mission too. Um, so I, I think those are a couple pieces. I don't think it's a big change for us, but it's interesting to think about strategic intent. I'll give you one example from um, a company called uh, Thrivent is a longtime uh, major partner of ours. They're an insurance company uh, that just serves uh, Christians. And but a Fortune 300 company. And we talked and designed a program at a large scale with them to really have impact. And we threw in an international component because we're global, even though they're U.S. only. And then we measured everything. And it was fascinating. One of the pieces we built in was an international volunteer component. And now, you know, 15 years later, it turned out that having um, sales managers take their customers on international volunteer builds moved net promoter scores higher than anything else in the entire organization. So till COVID-19, we were going to run 150 volunteer builds just for this per year. And uh, and so it's an example of kind of moving their strategic needle, but in a way that was good for us because that's resources going to low-income countries. And of course, their customers hopefully fall in love with Habitat and become supporters of our mission as well. Um, and then they did a nice thing. They, uh, as it, they were building it into their culture, they gave their um, top uh, staff uh, who would typically go on a golf vacation to Hawaii, they gave them the choice. You could either go with senior leadership on an international habitat build, or you could go on the golf vacation. They all picked the habitat. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So I love it's that. become part of their culture now that all of their senior yeah. leaders lead teams of their highest performers and go spend a week building somewhere, which just locks in their culture, values, and leadership, but of course, deepens the relationship with habitat. So it's a lovely, those to me is, is sort of a really nice win-win. And I think what we try to do then with any one partner is think about what are the specific activations that would tell that story in a way that makes sense for their employees uh, or the customers that they are trying to reach or the stakeholders in some cases. In some countries, that might be they want to demonstrate to the local government that they're making a positive difference in, in, uh, in making communities stronger or safer. But it's, it's sort of who their, their stakeholders are. I love that. What a great example. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, Jonathan, this has been so fascinating. So great to talk to you. I know you're busy, so I'm going to set you free from the podcast. But where can people find more about Habitat for Humanity International online if they want to do that? Well, we would love to share. If you go to Habitat.org, you can learn all about the mission and where we are. If you want to learn about Home is the Key, um, we have our wonderful Habitat humanitarians, Drew and Jonathan Scott, and a whole group of our current partners. But we always welcome more. And uh, thank you so much, Megan. It's great to be with you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. We'll put links to those in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. And uh, we hope to catch up with you again real soon, Jonathan. And uh, hang in there. Uh, Thanks again for joining me. Thanks so much. Great to be with you, Megan. Take care. 